0: Hello and welcome to Reading Between the Lines, the story podcast from the People's Friend in association with the Oddfellows. Each episode, a few of us from the Friend team delve into our archives to find a story to read and then sit down for a wee chat about it. So, make yourself a cuppa, pull up a chair and come join us. This episode we're reading The Moonstone Brooch by R.J. Ayton. First published on the 1st of March 1930. Reading the story is friend subeditor Kirsty Souter. Over to Kirsty.
1: Passing down Shaftesbury Avenue as dark was falling, George Horst's sharp eyes were attracted to a window. In a dim corner furthest from the light stood a tray of miscellaneous odds and ends of jewellery. What had caught his fancy was a little moonstone brooch in a curiously wrought setting. Putting his hand into his pocket, he drew out what it held, regarded the meagre coins ruefully, hesitated for a moment, then entered the antique dealer's shop firmly. He indicated the tray in the window. On closer examination, the little brooch was even more attractive than he had thought. He held it out in his large palm. It was exactly what he wanted for a special purpose. How much? he asked. The sum demanded was beyond all that his pockets held, but he was a tenacious and shabby young man. Detaching a gold seal from the worn leather chain of his watch, he offered it in part payment. After some haggling, the exchange was made, the precious find wrapped up. Seated in the tube, George Hoare unwrapped his little parcel to have a closer look at it. It was a large stone with a thin, fine setting. As he moved it from side to side, the the light sent pale, quivering colours over it, the palest, most elusive mauve and rose and blue. Exactly the thing, thought the shabby young man, with deep satisfaction, to appeal to Elsie's somewhat difficult taste. He was about to return it in safety to his inner vest pocket when he was startled to find a large woman standing over him, her strong face quivering with anger. That's mine, she said. It's been stolen from me. "'You are mistaken, madam,' George Hoare told her. "'I have just bought and paid for it.' "'You can tell any story you like to the police,' said his antagonist violently. "'You are coming with me now.' The tube was crowded. The sensation began to spread. An elderly man seated next to George said in a judicial and precise manner, it's a serious matter to accuse anyone of theft, madam. "'You may involve yourself in a highly unpleasant suit.' "'The unpleasantness won't be mine.' The accused said viciously, but the thief's. This brooch has been taken from your house, you saw? The lawyer questioned her. All the passengers within hearing were listening with intense curiosity, George among the rest. This would be a grand yarn to spin for Elsie's amusement when he presented her with the moonstone brooch. I didn't know that it was stolen, said the woman, till I saw it just now, but I'll find it gone when I get home. And he's coming with me to the police station, and there'll be a policeman there when I open the jewel box the lawyer was shocked. And you accuse a stranger on as slight grounds as that, he reproached her. I'd know that brooch anywhere, she said sullenly, no mistaking it. But, even so, there are a hundred possibilities of it having been stolen by someone else, sold, and bought by its present owner, as he avers. George Hoare broke into the discussion. It's all right, he said easily. I'll go home with you, madam, and wait while you find your brooch. Then we get out here, she said. They were slowing down for Golder's Green Station. The last sight the other passengers had of the two was striding together towards the exit, the woman holding George firmly by his shabby sleeve. In complete silence, they strode along the street, George struggling with a growing desire to shout with laughter. Here was a very pretty little adventure that exactly suited his humour. Glancing at his accuser's face, he was struck by the vindictive set of her thin mouth. He was sobered by a sudden idea. If it turned out that the brooch really was the property of this spiteful woman, and the real thief was, within her reach, heaven help the wretch, thought George Hoare. They had not far to go. Opening the gate of a semi-detached villa, and locking her arm through her victims, the woman produced a key and opened the front door. Mary! she called imperiously. A door opened on the right, and a girl stood in the doorway. Yes, and? she said. In a moment, George Hoare was alert. The girl in the doorway had a sweet little sensitive face, deep blue eyes, wide now with unmistakable fear. This man, said her aunt, in her harsh, grating voice, has stolen some of my jewellery. Stay with him in the sitting room till I go up and see my jewel box. George followed the girl into the sitting room. As the door was locked upon them, she turned to him and asked breathlessly, What is it? George held out the moonstone brooch. The girl's face went white. She gave a low cry of fear. "'Oh,' she said, in a voice of agony. "'You didn't steal that. I... I took it and sold it.' "'You,' said George with conviction, "'are no thief.' "'No,' she said. They stood close together and spoke in urgent whispers. The dread woman might return at any moment. "'It was my mother's. That and a little more. She's... She's dead. My father, too. Aunt Maria keeps everything.' Says it's hers because she spent more than that on my keep. She broke my violin. The girl's voice was broken into sobs. I had to have it mended. No money, so... The key turned in the lock and the door was flung open. The brooch is gone, shouted Miss Granger. Put your hat on at once, Mary, and go for the police while I hold the man here. The girl's eyes were agonized. I can't, she said, and shivered at the look cast on her. Had it not been for the girl, George Hoare reflected, the situation would have amused him well. It would have been great sport to see the routing of this terrible woman. The dealer would have no difficulty in identifying the brooch and the purchaser, but neither would he have the least difficulty, at the same time, in describing the person who had brought the jewel to him. The appealing blue eyes, the strained white face, were raised to his. One glance at the uncompromising jaw of his accuser, and George's resolution was taken. If the police arrived, he must act the thief to save this trembling girl. It was a nasty situation. He met the girl's eyes. She moved nearer to him. You have the brooch restored to you, George said as he laid it down on the table. Will that satisfy you? Miss Granger took not the least notice of him. Go as I tell you, she commanded the girl sharply. George nodded to her to obey. With reluctant steps, the frightened girl went her way. As the door closed, he turned towards Miss Granger, shrugged his shoulders, pointed to the moonstone brooch. "'This pleasant interview may end now, I think,' he said, and moved towards the door. With a swift stride, she put her powerful shoulders against it, eyeing him maliciously. "'So you think that ends it, you young thief? You'll soon find out the sort of person you are up against. There you stay until the police arrive!' She could never understand how it happened, but in a moment— The room was plunged into darkness, and when the lights went on again, the window was open and the man had completely disappeared. Running, as he left the gate, George nearly ran down a girl who stood rooted on the pavement under a lamp. What? You? He stopped and gazed into the troubled blue eyes. Why haven't you gone for the police? She wrung her hands. I I couldn't. I was trying to get courage to go back and tell her it was I. That was a brave offer said George admiringly. No, no, of course I couldn't let you be accused. If the police had come, I'd have had to confess before them. The girl was distraught with fear, and be taken for a thief. They were walking rapidly down the road as they talked. But the brooch is yours, said George. How could I prove it? Mary Granger asked him. Only my word against hers. Oh, you don't know what she is like. George thought that he had more than an inkling. His face grew stern. To think of a sensitive child in the power of a woman like that made him feel murderous. "'Have no more fear,' he smoothed her. "'I practically confessed to the theft. You are out of it. Get the police for her, or there'll be trouble over the omission.' "'Oh, how good you are. How wonderfully good.' The eyes raised to her rescuer were so warm and sweet that George's heart beat faster. "'But it's not safe for you. How can I?' "'No man better able to look after himself than I,' Horace assured her in light tones. "'This neighbourhood, I grant you, "'may not be a healthy one for me for some time to come. "'I might wear a fake beard and tortoise shell spectacles, of course.' "'How can I thank you?' asked Mary Granger softly. "'You do everything for me "'and get nothing out of all the trouble for yourself.' "'Well, I get the moonstone brooch, of course,' George answered. "'And it is quite a particular value for me.' "'The girl's eyes were white.' I thought you gave it back to Aunt Maria. Then took it again, along with my unceremonious leave. I bought it for a girl who was hard to give presents to. She has so much already. Mary fell silent, considering this happy girl who had so much, and the love of a hero like this besides. The police station was within sight. They paused abruptly. I must know how you get on, he said. You must promise never to come near here. Promise me. Her eyes were dark with anxiety done. If you promise to meet me somewhere else, George said, what about lunch together in town tomorrow? I'd meet you outside the Piccadilly tube station at half past one o'clock. I'll try. I'll, I'll try, Mary assured him eagerly. The crook vanished from her sight with long, stealthy footsteps, said Hoare in a stage whisper, carrying his plunder with him. The lights from the police station glared for a moment upon him before the darkness swallowed him up. The girl ran like a hare to give the villain in charge. Alas, too late. He lifted his hat, waved it gaily, and was gone from her sight. He waited on the pavement beside the Piccadilly tube next day, and the moments dragged, each more intolerably. Hundreds of people seemed to pour out incessantly, but never the one he looked for. His anxiety grew. That small, wistful face had haunted him all night. Nothing had ever put him off sleep before. What was he to do if she did not come? She had no address of his. He cursed his folly. He could not write to her, for he was convinced that the dreaded aunt would think nothing of opening letters. Perhaps she was suffering acutely, even now. What was he to do? Should he send Elsie to call on some pretext or other? She would not come now, he fretted, an hour gone. But still he lingered. Suddenly, Hoare's frowning face changed. She was coming towards him, her white face rose colour, her blue eyes alight. His relief was so great that he held her small hand in a crushing grip. Forgot to let it go. I'm so sorry, gasped Mary. I couldn't help it. Oh, I'm so glad to find you. I thought you'd have gone. It's so late. Time, said George Hoare pleasantly, is nothing. But my hunger is great. He hurried her along. In a few minutes, they were seated in an almost deserted upstairs room where Hoare was apparently well known. Succulent food appeared at once. The flush had fled out of Mary's face. Hoare suddenly saw its pallor, the dark blue marks under her eyes. "'You've had a bad time,' the girl nodded. "'Aunt Maria was so upset at your escape and the second loss of the brooch. She told the police that you belonged to a gang of crooks, that your escape was assisted.' George smiled delightfully. "'That was very like a finished crook, wasn't it, to offer to go home with her? Why, the slightest wrench of her arm, and I could have escaped any moment.' She's very strong, said the girl gravely. She prides herself that she's stronger than most men. Horace saw the shrinking girl along with the strong woman dominating her grim childhood. How old are you? he asked abruptly. Eighteen, she told him. Leave the woman, he advised. Go on your own. I am trying, she said eagerly. If only I could get violin pupils. I would have to be in their own houses, but I don't know how to go about it. Horace's eyes were full of thought. Well, he said, I think I could secure you one for a beginning. She thanked him fervently. You would have to teach him from the beginning, he said. He doesn't know his notes, but he has a passion. I might call it the beginning of a consuming passion, to be taught. A musical little boy. Mary's face grew quite rosy again, her eyes bright. How I'd love that more than anything. Are you sure? Quite sure. You could get him for me. Nothing surer, Horvath returned but he isn't a very little boy. Indeed, he is thirty years old, one month and six days. His is a sad case. His musical education, poor child, has been entirely neglected. She looked inquiringly at him. The colour died out of her face. "'I see,' she said Sully. "'You are very generous, but I have taken far too much from you already.' "'It is not generosity,' he assured her. "'You see,' The girl I mean to marry is musical. She would like me to know enough to appreciate her playing. I should like it myself. If that's the case, Mary's voice was small and quiet, I'll only be too glad to teach you what I can. Come with me now, can you, and buy a violin, he asked. They went out together. You try them over, he told her as they entered the shop, and choose the one you like best for me. The music seller, overhearing, beamed. This was the class of customer he spent his days hoping for, the best required, the price immaterial. In an inner room he handed out a violin. Mary took it with an exclamation of joy, drew the bow lightly across it. Her eyes were full of beaming joy. You like that one? said Hoare. Then I'll have it. It's a lovely one, she said reverently. Will you show us some moderately priced ones for a beginner? As the shopman departed, crestfallen, Hoare turned to his companion. "'I've decided that I'd learn much more about music,' he said, "'if you played to me several times a week and explained all about it "'than if I scraped a bow up and down the strings. "'I honestly don't think Elsie would stand much of that from me.'" So Elsie was the name of the girl he loved, the girl who was hard to please because she had so much. The shopman returned with a cheap new violin in his hand, proffering it to Mary to try. "'I prefer the tone of the other,' said Hoare. "'Well, naturally,' The shopkeeper could not forbear to smile. That one is six pounds and the other is five hundred pounds. Pack it up and send it, then, said Hor. Which, sir? The decent one, of course. He began to hunt through the pockets of his shabby suit. I'm always forgetting to bring money, he said to Mary. That day I saw the moonstone brooch, I'd spent it all. Ah, here's a checkbook. Good. It was a month later that George Hoare, seated beside the fire in a comfortably furnished library, brought the moonstone brooch out of his pocket. "'What a charming little brooch!' The girl on the opposite side of the fireplace laid down the book she was reading. "'Yes, I bought it for you, Elsie, for your last birthday.' "'And forgot all about it?' His sister said. "'How like you. Hand it over.' George Hoare's large hand closed over the moonstone brooch. His eyes were gleaming. Its destination has changed, he said. It is to be my first present to my wife.
0: Reading Between the Lines is proud to be sponsored by Friendship Society, The Oddfellows. If you've ever wondered what being a member of The Oddfellows means, we're delighted to be able to share some first-hand answers.
2: Emma from Bradford. The
3: Oddfellows has really
2: helped me to make new friends and it's also given me financial support and allowed me to start saving through its credit union. And I've just finding it a complete godsend, especially through COVID. Hi, I'm Jill from Nottingham. I've been with the Oddfellows for many years and always found them very supportive and um, we, we attend uh, lots of different uh, functions and games and outings and lots of friendship uh, as well as getting compensation for dental and optical visits. So it's plus plus all around.
0: If you recently retired and need inspiration to find a new routine, take a look at what your local Oddfellows friendship group has to offer. The Oddfellows want to help you make the most out of your retirement with social events, group holidays, volunteering opportunities and well-being support. To find out more about their retirement support, give them a call today on 0800 028 1810 or visit oddfellows.co.uk. It's time to start a new chapter of your life. Now, let's get back to the story. Let me top up my coffee, grab some of my friends and we'll have that little chat about it. That was the Moonstone brooch, beautifully read by Kirsty, who is also joining us today. Hello, Kirsty. Hello. We also have Judy from the production team. Hello, Judy. Hello. And DC Thompson archivist David. Hello, David. Hiya. Now, usually it's me in the archive uh, digging through these stories, but I did recruit people to help me. This is one Alex helped. Me pick out, um, so I can't say for sure what it exactly is that kind of drew Alex to it, but what do you guys think it might have been?
1: Well, I thought the title was really interesting. It made me think of Wilkie Collins, <laughs> the Moonstone, and I was like, Ooh, a mystery about a moonstone. <laughs> and I thought it was going to be like a really exciting mystery, as well as that. It said it was a strange adventure. I was like, Ooh, okay.
3: I've learnt not to trust the people's friends when, when one of these stories says that it's a strange adventure, or it's an adventure, because I've been scarred by this on previous podcasts. Um, but, so, because it, yeah. it didn't feel like an adventure to me, but, no. um, you know.
2: It's quite an unusual premise for the story, though. So it's it's a bit out, we, out of the, the usual sort of recipe for romance, if you like.
0: Yeah, I mean, same destination, <laughs> slightly different.
2: Sure, but it's it's all about the journey, Jack. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think I expected the same, actually. I don't know why I got mystery vibes when I looked at it, but I did. It's
2: the word moon. That's what does Ah, it. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: and and you're right. So it says a strange adventure story, the moonstone brooch. And yeah, I was expecting some sort of Poirot-esque mystery and I don't yeah. I, I've done this several times with people's friends stories I'm like oh where's the murder gonna be <laughs> and I was like, it's very much not that kind of um magazine um, but still I fall for it every single time I feel like it, it did try it set out to be a mystery but it doesn't leave it a mystery very long does it because he's he's she's like oh who's still the brooch and it's how have I got this brooch and then it's just um our character what's her name Mary. Mary, is
3: it? So just going back to the original bit, this is also the first story in this issue of The Friend. So it's the front page.
2: Okay.
3: Um, so it's got the masthead above it um, and everything. Um, I don't know if that just helped. And it's got a nice, strong illustration in the middle, though. It's not the illustration I'd have probably chosen for this story if if I was... Well, what do I know about magazines? <laughs> <laughs> like I don't commit, I'm not involved in them. But yeah, it, it just struck me as a bit, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I, I would have... Um, Done a, one of him being accosted by the by the and the woman, or get trying yes. to get arrested by the police or something. And
2: what
3: what is the illustration of?
0: It's just them sitting at a table. And do they ever actually sit at a table?
3: Yeah, they do. He takes her for dinner in somewhere a bit posh.
0: All oh, right, okay. Where he's
3: obviously known, which is obviously oh. where he takes all his fancy pieces. <laughs> um, which is how <laughs> I read it.
2: <laughs> yeah, but you see, I had a completely different view of him because yeah, where it says the sum demanded when he's trying to buy the brooch the sum demanded was beyond all the, all that his pockets held but he was a tenacious and shabby young man and to me that says that george was was, was a tenacious and shabby young yeah. man so he was forever shabby in my head well well that's is it that the, right?
0: the use of i've made a note of this use of the word shabby because they use it a lot and i'm like does that mean what we think it means now in terms of looking a bit shabby because it doesn't I think the context so. is a bit weird
1: I think it's just because they're. It's a bait and switch to make you think he's yeah. a poor young person, but it turns out he's just a badly dressed rich <laughs> young person.
3: And yeah. you get plenty of those, you know. So like, it's like, I, you know, you don't get rich by spending money.
0: You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. What well, it's quite. It is quite um, accurate. But I, I just love the um, the confidence of the. The aunt, the woman who's so certain it's her brooch, I'm like, no British person would cause oh, such they a scene totally on the train. <laughs>
3: yeah, <they> totally would.
0: <laughs> hey, maybe you would.
3: <laughs> that's the bit that that's probably the first bit in this story that made me really roll my eyes. It's like oh, I don't believe that this scene would play out on an no, underground yeah. train, and yeah, that you somebody know, would willingly be dragged to their house to wait no, for the police but to come.
2: Do you know who I had in my mind when she started when she confronted him about the brooch? Was you know, the Faulty Towers, the deaf oh, woman. So- Oh, I oh, remember when she said, I've paid for a room with a view. Oh, and he said, this is Torquay, madam. It was, it was her. Joan somebody. Jo- jo- Sanderson? Yes. Joan Sand- Sanderson. Joan Sanderson, I think that's right, yeah. That's who I had in my mind. That kind of, you know, indomitable sort of...
0: She was, she was horrible, um, but rather amusing. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I was just like, there is no way you would... Cause and yeah, like you see George just going along with it for the laugh. He's like, "Oh yeah, I'll get arrested. This will be an adventure
1: to the, tell to tell this, someone I'm like For some reason, this story gave me like big Enid Blyton vibes. <laughs> <laughs> like and that's the not a bad thing. No, I mean I used to read a lot of Enid Blyton when I was a, a, a kid, and I don't know if it's again the fact that I thought this was going to be an adventure or a mystery, uh-huh. and then like the the protagonist just I'm going along with whatever. Happens you were expecting to me. George to be a girl. dog. dog? (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I don't know i think it was just something about like the villainy of the villain and yet the haplessness of everyone else yeah Yeah. i just was like oh this is a very blighton-esque folly it's
0: it's incredibly convenient and one of the bits that angered me the most was (laughs) this let me find it so it's the bit where she never could understand how it happened, but in a moment the room was plunged in darkness, and when the lights went on again, the window was open, and the man had completely disappeared. Did I miss something? What has actually happened there? Like, has he
1: just pulled a magic magic trick? He, just, he, just... he literally just switched off the light and jumped out the window, which is what I would do in an awkward situation. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just like, it's
2: so incredibly convenient. I wondered if she had, the girl had done it, Mary had done it,
0: but oh, it certainly
2: I, wasn't clear. No, yeah, no. I have,
0: I, had, I was like, "Is are we in a supernatural kind of? <laughs> is it ghosts?"
3: It, <laughs> felt, it felt like an editorial fudge to me.
1: Yeah, I but would yeah. have framed that from his perspective as opposed to a magical thing that just happened. Yeah, would have probably if I'd been the one writing it, I would have made it clear what, who did the magic trick.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and it would have been sneakier and and more of a mystery and. It doesn't, yeah. It doesn't leave it a mystery for very long. And she's just like, "Oh yeah, that was me. I stole it."
2: Yeah, but then she says, "When the lights went on again, sorry, I'm still harking <laughs> on about this." <laughs> <laughs> when the lights went on again, the window was open. So if he had done it, he couldn't have switched them back on. Oh, what? good. That's point. a good point.
0: So I'm telling you, it's ghosts.
2: <laughs> or
3: Mary. <laughs> or,
2: or Mary. <laughs> but is she there? Where does she? No, she's she, outside she, she, under she a lamp post,
3: isn't she? Oh. She's wringing her hands oh, outside. Well, I see there, it is a
1: mystery. Because he have one of those clap lights. I don't think they have those in those days,
3: but maybe clap
0: off, <laughs> clap off. Yeah, because she he bumps into her in the street, and yeah, and she, yeah,
3: yeah. It all just felt a bit convenient and a mm. bit
0: yeah
2: contrived. I think
0: that's yeah, the word. That's the people. word. Yes. Um, my favourite line in this though is from George where he says, time is nothing, but my hunger is great. Yeah. It's <laughs> <I, Same>. him. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's the only bit I can relate to. <laughs> Another thing that makes me incredibly uncomfortable <laughs> about <laughs> these, I'm just ragging on this story. And and you see this often in these people's friend stories, is how often they refer to love interests as child. Just like, hello, my child. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, God. Mm. It's very creepy. Yeah.
2: That's a bit strange.
3: Well, she was only 16, wasn't she? She's was 18. No, she's 18. Mm-hmm. Not, but he
1: says he's in his 30s, certainly, because he's he tells her that he has the new pupil for her. Oh, yeah. And she's yeah, like, oh, oh, a child. And he's like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Guess again.
3: <laughs> I just found him a bit creepy all the time. Whenever he got, yes. There's that bit when he first, he first sees her when he walks into the house, being kind of like manhandled by the aunt. And his his you know, and you, you the setup is obviously that he's got a it, it appears that he has a girlfriend somewhere or a fiance that he's trying mm. to woo and everything, and then all of a sudden it's just like in a moment George Hall was alert when he walked in because he's just seen her and she's described as a sweet little sensitive face, deep blue eyes, wide now with unmistaken fear. It's just like yeah, I, I mean like, you
0: oh listeners cannot see my face, but it's but <laughs> Yeah. It's <laughs>
3: just like, no, it's like you've got this other woman. And, this is like, and I know that's kind of the plot twist, which I didn't see coming. I I normally I can guess them in most of these stories. And in this one, it's like, oh that's what happened. Right.
0: Yes. Did you see the plot twist come in, Judy and Kirsty? That it was his sister um, all
1: along? No. No, not really.
0: Oh, I, I I actually did spot that. I was like, it's not gonna be another missus. Because obviously they have to end up together.
1: But I thought Um, for a while they weren't going to end up together. I was, for some reason, (laughs) belligerently ignorant of the fact that she and he were supposed to be the love pair. Because I was like, no, he's too old for her, and I won't have it. <laughs> I will stand for this. But I think what it was is actually... Is what, did you, you think
3: he was going to get together with the, the aunt? I <laughs> w-
1: that was my headcanon. Actually, <laughs> I, I, th- I think what it actually was is that I thought it was going to be more of a sort of... Because she was so young, and it was emphasised how young and sensitive she was, I thought it was going to be more of like a teacherly kind of thing. Yeah. Like, because until he was like... Me pie- uh, t- teach me violin, I was like, not getting the romance vibes. Mm, no. And then all of a sudden I was like, I may have been wrong.
0: <laughs> I've made a mistake.
1: <laughs> and, I, and I realized then at that point I was like, there is going to be some sort of a revelation. Like maybe his current wife will die. I don't know.
0: <laughs> Wouldn't that be convenient for everyone? <laughs> <laughs> Although we never actually see Mary agree or want to be his wife, really, do we? Mm.
1: No. no. That's
3: not but, massively unusual in many yeah. of these stories, though, isn't it? It's that kind of like. It's oh, just assumed that. Yeah.
0: I mean, he's rich, so well, why, well, why wouldn't me she? Tell you.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, she doesn't find that out till the very end, but.
0: Um... She certainly lands on her feet, doesn't she? Yeah. <laughs> I just
3: found him all just a bit creepy. <laughs> Everything yeah. he did was just a bit like.
1: I do like his sister, though. She learns about the brooch and goes, give it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Mine. <Exactly>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you give it to me before?
3: <laughs> for me, that was about the only redeeming feature of this story was that last bit where there's that, that literally four lines or five lines of exchange between the sister and the brother. Yeah. Uh, where you finally find out what the relationship is and that he says, no, you're not having it. But at the same time, they never actually he never says for definite that Mary's going to be his wife. It's just like, it's it's to be the first present to my wife. It's like, well, that could be anyone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it is the aunt. In
0: these these days, it really could be He just met someone else and they get married. It doesn't actually specify whether they're already married or he's just like, I'm going to marry this woman um, no matter what.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I kind of took it to mean that was his plan. Yeah. Mm
0: I mean, <laughs> she doesn't get a say in the matter. Oh, it was a
3: month yeah. later, mind you. Yeah, That's
0: plenty plenty enough time. Mm. That's quite a
3: long engagement in people's friend like, years.
0: To get married. Like, <laughs> do you know what, actually, the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm like, my favourite character is the horrible aunt. <laughs> 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 At least you
1: know what you're getting, do you know what I mean? I mean, she had a very cartoon villain charm yeah. to her it's very like, ursula
0: from yeah
1: <laughs> the fact that her first response is to grab him and go like i'm taking you home with me or to the police station or i don't know where i'm taking you but you are coming with me sir isn't it's, that false imprisonment i don't know <laughs> i don't think it's legal but that's, that's th- it is. <laughs> but it turns out it was stolen so yeah. she had a claim to <laughs> she
2: wasn't wrong <laughs>
0: Again, I admire I, I envy her confidence. I yeah. <laughs> so just feel like this is this is what's happening, and I'm not moving for any amount of evidence that you can give me. So the author of this is RJ Ait, do we know anything else about the author?
1: David? <laughs>
3: <laughs> no? I can make something up.
1: <laughs> no.
3: Honestly, one of these days I'm going to make up a biography and just put it in and see if anybody notices. <laughs> but again, I'm I found nothing.
0: That's absolutely fine. But that,
3: that's not unusual for this kind of period of the friend. No. Um, that you know the writers were working class half most of the time. They were kind of they weren't famous. We had some star writers, you know, like Annie mm-hmm. S. Swan and um, people like that. But most of these people were they were. They weren't professional writers, no. they, they just did it for fun and put it in and they'd get picked up by one newspaper or they will get picked up by another newspaper. Um, so I did do a, li- a bit of searching around for R.J. Ayton in things like the British Newspaper Archive to see if they were writing serial fiction or anything for the newspapers in London, etc. Couldn't find anything about him. I'm assuming it's a him. Just a, another unfortunate 1930s unknown.
0: Mm. Well, based on the story, do you think... They would have been picked up again.
2: I didn't think it was that bad.
0: <laughs> I think we, I think we did briefly speak about this um, off mic, and it did split opinion between us
2: a wee bit. I think. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't hate it. I mean, I didn't think it was particularly badly written or anything.
3: It hid the twist well for me personally. Um, you know i didn't see it it's one you know i got to the end of it I was like, oh right okay that all makes sense now what it didn't do well was give me any characters that i liked <laughs> <laughs> I was like he was just creepy she needed a shake um it's like i was just thought like, oh come on and the aunt was a bit too pantomime
0: and she certainly brought the drama though you have to give it to her yeah
3: oh and the judge or the the, the, the lawyer, lawyer was just a bit like oh yeah Sorry, I don't speak to anybody on the tube. I don't know about
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. I was like, there is no way this would happen on the tube. Actually, that's something that, that again, my woeful ignorance of history. Um, I didn't realise the tube was around at this time. And then it's actually been around since like the late 1800s. Yeah, yeah. we actually
2: did a serial about it um, getting built. Yeah. Which was very good. But, which Who did the train
3: to driver to l- fall in love with? <laughs>
2: we, I don't think we, we were talking about the builders, uh, right. but it was a really good serial. But I can't remember who wrote it. To my shame,
0: yeah. So that's something I had to Google. I was like, when was the tube made? And then it was at like the late eight hundreds. I was like, okay, you've just got like really bad we did knowledge. A one,
2: we did a one-off story, and I'm sure it was Alison Carter that wrote it about the one of the first journeys in the tube. Wow. But we definitely had a, a serial about the the constructing of it.
0: Yeah. That was good. And also, the, the the sort of flawed points of this is like, why would you steal from someone and then get on the tube with them? Like, <laughs> <laughs> is is what is this woman's logic? That is like, she he has just stolen this from my house.
2: But you and would, she wouldn't. Followed nec- me
1: onto the tube. <laughs> yeah.
2: He wouldn't necessarily know that it was her house if he was a. If it was just a random sneak thief. But, yeah.
1: You are right. Her logic is really weird. Like, I understand it's quite a unique brooch, but she how close is she looking at this stranger on the tube to see what he's holding in his hand and to go, but that's mine. I've seen people get on the train or on public transport and I've seen stuff that they're holding and I've never actually looked at it close enough to be like,
0: I think I have that. (laughs) Like, but, and that is what you would say. You think, oh, I have one of those. You wouldn't go, that is my exact one. Yeah. I demand it back. (laughs)
1: Like, I, I have to say maybe that's Maybe that's where I'm going wrong. Maybe I would have a lot more fun on public transport if I started accusing strangers of having stolen my belongings.
3: I'm not getting the tube with you. <laughs> that's
1: why I don't live in London. I'm a menace.
0: If I was on the tube and I thought, that is my exact actual belonging, I would be too shy to even bring up... Say, you know what? Have it. <laughs> I'm not going to... Enter this confrontation.
3: I mean, he did have the confidence that he has just bought this from a pawn shop, and therefore, yeah. you know, he knows that.
2: Yeah,
3: that's probably why he went along with it. But it's still just.
1: And
2: he, he does have that sort of easy confidence of a rich person.
3: But
1: why doesn't he have a receipt?
3: Well, he probably does.
1: But he should just have gone. Here is the receipt. Here is the receipt. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we wouldn't have had a story then. Would
0: yeah. Also, I, I wonder if he
3: just wanted to like the, the the kind of that moment where he can kind of basically say to it you've got you. the wrong man yeah.
0: yeah he's waiting for the opportune moment the yeah.
3: peak of my drama anything, he doesn't feel he's got anything to lose
1: yeah I do appreciate his commitment to a story like he's like yeah this is fun I'll tell my friends about this later <laughs> it felt a bit
3: Jeeves and Worcester at times mm. yeah a little bit yeah um, <laughs> because like, I can imagine Hugh Laurie playing this character
0: yeah <laughs> <It's like, laughs> it is a bit slapstick isn't it it, um, did, it
2: did move along A good pace, and it didn't. There was no. It wasn't waffly or draggy at any point. No, that is true. It did move along smartly.
1: I do think there were bits that were contrived, but as a whole, I didn't hate it. No, I didn't. I, I I thought it was like a silly little story. (laughs) Like it was fun. Like,
0: yeah. How? So how do we think it holds up to today's publishing standards? Would we publish? What would we change?
1: From my perspective, the Mary character would have to be much stronger. Because oh she was the real letdown for me because she is pathetic. <laughs> that's not being
3: mean. She does she has been bullied into submission by her aunt. That is And true. she is like, trying you know... to
1: leave. Actually, she... it's very Cinderella. Yeah. It is very
3: Cinderella. And also, as a musician, if somebody smashed my violin, that... yeah. if somebody smashed my cello, I would be amazingly upset. Yeah. So that's
1: fair, actually. I smashed my own cello once and it was <gasps> bad enough. Oh my goodness. Kicked it on the bus. <laughs> just public transport. It's like, <laughs> that's my cello. Give it back. <laughs> but, but yeah. Um,
0: you should have just spotted someone else's cello. and been like, <laughs> Actually, that's mine. That's mine.
1: <laughs> no, I, I think not to say that like you can't have characters who are passive, but it was such a one sided. She never grew. She never really changed. And at the end, like you've kind of pointed out, you don't even know if she has accepted his proposal or wants to marry him. It's just yeah. told to you that that's her story and that's how it ends.
0: It's that thing about agency and being an active part of your own story, life, plotline, which she does not mm-hmm. have. And it's not its not an unfamiliar character in these older people's friends stories. I think that's popped up quite a few times. Yeah.
3: The wedding could be interesting when the answer, there, couldn't it? <laughs> <That's not my
0: laughs> If I was maybe not for the people's friend but for my own entertainment I would make this a really mad Poirot mystery. <laughs> she kills her aunt and runs <laughs> off <laughs> with the money. <laughs>
2: um but
0: doesn't yeah. sound very
3: people's friend. No, yeah. no, that's just for my own.
2: Um yeah, I don't I don't I don't think we would publish it today as is.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Maybe with if the aunt was less horrible and the the girl was a bit less wet yes. we could uh, we could probably do something with it cuz the story itself isn't bad
0: i do like the setting and the the whole premise being around this like item and you and like you said at the beginning the fact that that's the title was actually really enticing i was like oh what is this mm. item and you know sort of mystery around it so i do and i think that's quite an effective sort of, you know, we do lots of writer's prompts and stuff for our contributors. I think it's a good prompt for a story. So you have this moonstone brooch. What happens? Um, I just think someone could have written <laughs> a better <laughs> story around it.
1: Yeah, see, I think having other people point out the things that they noticed that I completely missed when mm-hmm. I read it. Because when I read it, I was just like, yeah, I, this is fine. I, I quite enjoyed it. And... um in that sort of way that one enjoys a story about a missing brooch that, and some <laughs> wacky hijinks, and but then I think when you've kind of taken it on its own again and had a proper look at it, it doesn't hold up as well as it might. I didn't particularly enjoy the female character in it. I enjoyed the aunt, but I <laughs> but but Mary, I did want more of a character mm-hmm. but I really like enjoyed certain bits of it like for example the exchange with the sister if, the, if there had been more of that sort of like a bit of banter banter a bit if the main character and the main love interest had had more of a fun back yeah. and forth rather than one of them having a, the worst time of her life and the other <laughs> one having like a marvellous jape, I think yeah. <laughs> it would have been a little bit more like believable a little bit more enjoyable yeah. I don't know
0: no, it is a it is a good point because when I've uh, when I first read it, I was like, oh yeah, this is a good one. I'll include this. And obviously, I've read it a few times at this point to kind of type it up and and stuff. And then the more you read it, and the and the more you think about it, the the less fun it it gets.
2: Well, that's, maybe that's the whole thing. It's it's not meant to be. Literature sort of studied well, uh, and taken yeah. apart, it's just yeah. meant to be read at the end of a long day by the fireside.
0: And that is, that's a good point, like, the, it's, yeah, the point of it is to be quite fleeting entertaining and, just a, little...
2: and a bit
3: funny. Oh, and...
0: huh, that was nice, <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll just cancel
3: my PhD thesis on this
0: one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, actually, do we have anything more to say about the fact that he was, you know, the, the twists of that he was rich? I really liked your point. Was it Judy who made the point that he? he has the confidence of a rich person. Mm. I thought that's a really interesting trait to include, that he's, you know, he's this shabby, um, random guy, but he is actually, yeah, he carries himself with the confidence of, like, nothing's ever going to touch me.
2: No, I couldn't possibly go to jail for stealing this brooch.
0: I'll just bail myself out. Yeah. (laughs) So on that note, we will do the official five-star ratings. It will go the opposite way around. So, Judy, what do you think?
2: Um... Well, if we're getting halves, I want, okay. I want I'll, half. I'll give it two and a half. Two and a half out of five, not ten. Yes, it's five out of five stars. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, David?
3: Oh, I really disliked it. <laughs> um, I hated the character. I hated the way he's written. Which mean, is maybe good on the part of the author that they were able to kind of get me that annoyed, but i I'm really tempted to give this one a one. I just really did not like it.
0: <laughs> Rip up the paper <laughs> uh,
3: no I just didn't his character just made me feel uncomfortable yeah. all the way through, and as a result, I didn't enjoy it when i was when i when I read it um and when I reread it, I really didn't enjoy it. it's just like no, so sorry, it's a one from me
0: mm, i i'm I was toying with a three mm-hmm. or two, but I think so yeah, okay. I I will also co-opt a half star and go two and a
1: half.
0: <laughs> uh, what about you, Kirsty? I'm gonna give it a three. Oh,
1: okay, we have a nicer one. <laughs> someone has to stand up for this story. <laughs> I've been pretty rude to it, so I feel like.
0: Although I feel like I'll give it a three because someone has to. Isn't the most <laughs> glowing. If you go
1: by like the way I rate books on Goodreads, three is it's okay. Yeah. Four is. It was good. Five is excellent. Two is not great. And one is, I would really like to speak to the author. <laughs> <laughs> then I, w- I would say it's a three for me. Like, yeah. It's if fine. it weren't allowed
2: half, so I'd have given it a three, two.
0: Yeah, it's, so it's like a high two. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'll give it a us i I'll just go back to the, the tense. <laughs> so sort of <laughs>
1: <cheese greeting. laughs> I give it a three, but with the caveat. <laughs> yeah i have a solid three with the caveat that i understand where the ones and twos are coming from yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah we've had the benefit
1: of seeing what's coming next
0: <laughs> to adjust our ratings um uh, okie dokie. so i think we will we will end it there so thank you kirstie for narrating for us uh and to david and judy for joining us for the discussion and to you as always for listening all that's left for me to say is until this week group of friends gets together again for another story from the friend to you, Cheerio! Thanks again for joining us for this episode of Reading Between the Lines. Follow on your podcast app today so you don't miss out on our next story, and check our previous episodes for more from the Friend Archives. We would be delighted if you were to recommend this podcast to your friends. If you don't already get the People's Friend magazine delivered, Because you listen to Reading Between the Lines, you have an exclusive offer to subscribe to get your first 13 issues for just £6. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And for more from The People's Friend, visit thepeoplesfriend.co.uk, subscribe to our newsletter, or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hasty back! There's a dainty
2: little journal that is read both far and near. It has had a host of rivals, still it stands without a peer. It is bright and entertaining from the first page to the end. And is known to its admirers as the dear old people's friend. A charming little journal is the friend. Of good things it is such a happy blend. That to read it at your leisure is a pleasure without measure The friend to friends in trouble recommend They won't be happy till they get the friend